welcome to Faith. My name is uh, Mike. If we have met one of the pastors on staff here, and um, we're gl just glad to have you with us in person, glad to have you with us online. Now, if we have met and you're wondering, what are you doing up front? I thought the youth pastor candidate was going to be here. A uh, couple of things. One, you're not reading your emails or you're not getting your emails, okay? And if you're not getting them, fill out your connection card. We'll get you on the email list and get you updated. But on Thursday, I was having lunch with someone and my phone started blowing up. And it was a youth pastor candidate, uh, an airline who will remain nameless because I've said many unpastor-like things about them this week, uh, completely canceled uh, their flights and uh, we weren't able to get them here in any kind of a timely manner. We were hoping to push that back for one week and to run into some snags with that as well. And so stay tuned, watch your email and we'll get you updated on where things are at with that. So uh, that being the case, what I was planning on preaching next week, just kind of scooted up to this week, uh, but I had about half the time to, to memorize that I normally take. So if you're like, he's in his notes a little bit more today. <laughs> I am. Deal with it, all right? It's just, it's, it's what we're working with here. So uh, let's pray for the, the search, our time together, and then uh, we'll jump into things as we watch a video. Father, just, uh, we pray for your hands on a node, for his family for all the details with this search, that you would um, get things worked out in your way and in your time. Fathers, we wrap this series up today. We pray that you would help our hearts, our minds to be receptive to you and to your truth for our lives. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I'm married. Doesn't matter. You do that for me? Really? Yeah, I'd like that. Who are you talking to? Uh, it's Jake from State Farm. Sounds like a really good deal. Jake from State Farm at 3 in the morning? Who is this? It's, it's Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so... Another reason more people stay with State Farm. Get to a better state. So uh, we are wrapping up a series today called Like a Good Neighbor. It is not sponsored by State Farm. We are not selling you insurance. Uh, and, and I had somebody after the first week be like, you should try and like sell them insurance for Jesus. I'm like, it's not the point of the series, right? Uh, instead, what we are trying to do is we're trying to wrap our brains around this idea where Jesus called us to neighbor well. In fact, in the first week of the series, we saw that Jesus told us that the most important thing we could be doing after loving God, is to love our neighbors. And, and Jesus defined our neighbor for us as the person in need and our proximity. And then Jesus told us that the best way that we can love that person is to try and meet the need that they have. And yet as clear as Jesus was, we have seen there are barriers that can get between us and neighboring well. And so over the last three weeks, we've been kind of talking about these barriers and how to work through them. And, and so, you know, during week two, Pastor Lord did a great job talking about the barrier of time. Like, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but where in the world am I going to find time to do that? And she helped us see that none of us are going to get more time. And so it's about placing a priority on the things that Jesus placed with the time that we do have. And then the next week, we, we talked about fear. The things that you're like, I'd love my neighbor, but I'm afraid this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, you know, and what does it look like for us to be people who live into faith 
rather than fear. And then last week, you know, Pastor James talked to us about uncertainty, this idea of, okay, I love my neighbor, but I'm not even sure where to start, right? And, And James did a great job of giving us really practical things that we can do to love our neighbor, things that were accessible to every one of us in the room. Now, as, as we wrap things up this week, all right, we're, you know, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at one side of the coin. This week, we're going to look at the other side of the coin. In fact, as we wrap things up th- this week, we are going to seek to develop an integrated theology of neighboring. Look at your neighbor and say to them, <clears throat> integrated theology. <laughs> Don't your neighbor sound smart, Right? Okay, it's really not that complicated, all right? Here's the deal. Here's what we mean by this. So the Bible will talk about a topic. Let's say parenting, right? It doesn't talk about it all in one place. You can't, like, have a baby, open up the book of parenting in the Bible and figure out what to do with this thing now, right? It doesn't work like that. Instead, it talks about parenting over here and over there and and. As the Bible talks about the same topic, it'll cover it from one perspective over here, and then it'll cover it from another perspective over there. So you might open up the Proverbs, and it's like, hey, you need to discipline your children. And then you might open up the First Thessalonians, it's like, you need to be loving and nurturing towards your children. And when Proverbs says to you, listen, you're the adult. God puts you there as the authority figure in this child's life to put up guardrails and to keep them from running. Their brain is not fully developed. Your job is to keep them on the road and out of the ditch. And then over here in Thessalonians, it's like, listen, if all you, if all you are is limits and no love, your child is going to struggle to comprehend the love of God. And the minute they get out from under your authority, they're going to run wild. The scripture says both of these things. It's not contradicting itself. Instead, what the scripture expects us to do is to develop an integrated theology. As parents, to take into account both limits and love and to do the hard work of thinking about, okay, in this circumstance, is limits the most appropriate response or is love? And over here, should I be leading with love or should I be leading with limits? How, how do I hold these in tension and resist the temptation of just leaning into one or the other and ignoring the other that I'm not leaning into? That's the lazy way out. The scripture calls us to do the hard work of integrating our theology. So for, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at this idea of, yeah, you love your neighbor. You get over the barriers between that. But this week... We want to talk about the other side of the coin and some other things that the scriptures has to say to us about how to interact in our relationships with our neighbors. And there are all kinds of things we could talk about. We can't cover them all. So today we're going to limit ourselves to these two ideas. Balance and health. Yes, the Bible says love your neighbor. But as you interact with people, we're going to see today the Bible says, hey, there needs to be balance in those interactions. There needs to be health in those interactions. And I'm going to contend today that to to let your relationship become imbalanced, to let your relationship become unhealthy is actually unloving. That the best way to obey Jesus' command to love well is to have an integrated theology that takes into account both love and health and balance all at the same time. So we'll just take these one at a time and kind of talk through them together today. So we'll start with balance, right? 
Again, week one, we saw Jesus, you know, give us his story of the Good Samaritan and talk about, hey, your neighbor is a person in need in your proximity and the best way to love them is to try and meet the need that they have. And here's the deal. I know some of you all. And so I know some of you are really good at that. Some of you love well. Others of you, I pray that you would love well, but some of you, you love really well. You, 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 like, you are quick to give. You are quick to serve. But here's the trouble. Oftentimes, when we're good at loving and giving and serving, when our neighbor tries to love us back, when they try to serve us back, when they try to give to us, when they try to neighbor this way, Givers oftentimes struggle with that. Givers will resist that. Sometimes the best of givers will refuse to let that happen. And then the relationship becomes unbalanced. And and again, I'm going to argue, to some degree, unloving. See, when we talk about balance, here's what I want us to remember. If we're truly going to be balanced in our neighboring, we can't just give. We also need to graciously receive. We need to be people who are going to receive graciously. Now, there are a number of reasons that we would do this. The first one is the the, the answer to every question at church is Jesus. What is bushy-tailed and short and eats nuts? That's right. You're at church. It's Jesus. Sounds like a squirrel. It's Jesus, all right? So we're going we're gonna to be balanced. We're going to receive graciously because actually Jesus really did. If you think about Jesus, if ever there was a giver, it was Jesus. Jesus saw our need for forgiveness and redemption. Jesus left the glory of heaven, put on flesh, dwelt among us, offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be made right with God. Like if ever there was a giver, if ever there was a lover, it was Jesus. And you read the first four books in the New Testament that serve as biographies of Jesus' life, and again and again and again you see him giving, giving, giving. But if you watch, if you pay attention, there are times where you see Jesus receiving. I'll give you a couple examples. This one is from uh, Luke's biography of Jesus' life. He says, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Jonah, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping support them out of their means. So, So at this point, Jesus is on this Billy Graham-like preaching crusade, going all over the country preaching, right? And try and wrap your, you know, post-COVID brain around this. Jesus has no TV, no radio, no internet, no live stream, no podcast, no social. So he does this radical thing in ministry. He meets with people in person, and preaches to them face to face, right? So he's doing this, right? And he's not doing this alone. He takes his top 12 disciples, who later be known as apostles, and they're kind of like his junior ministers. And then Jesus does something unheard of in his day and age. He brings a group of women with him on this preaching tour as well. 
Now, they're out there preaching. They're taking ground for the kingdom. They're breaking the mold as they do it. They've just got one problem. They've all quit their jobs. They're in ministry that is not lucrative. Jesus was poor. None of the 12 guys that he picked came from, you know, like, well-resourced backgrounds. And, and so, the, 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 to some degree, it's like, did you think this through, you know? You guys want to eat during the day and sleep indoors at night, but you don't have any money, you're not generating any kind of serious income. How are you going to do this? Well, fortunately for Jesus, some of these women who are with him on this preaching tour did come from well-resourced backgrounds. And out of their own pockets, they are helping fund this ministry for Jesus and his broke-butt disciples. And Jesus doesn't refuse their money. He's like, no, no, I can't take your money. You never see that. Instead, Jesus the giver graciously receives. We'll give you another example from Mark. Jesus has been preaching at the synagogue, and really the first century equivalent to the synagogue today would be kind of like preaching at church on Sunday. Jesus has been preaching at the synagogue, and we're told that as soon as he left the synagogue, he went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So Jesus is an old school preacher. Old school preachers, they always found a way to get somebody in the congregation to feed them after church, right? Yeah. So, so Jesus, you know, he's going to go to one of his disciples' house for, for after Sunday dinner. And we're told that when he gets there, that Simon's mother-in-law, who lived with him, God help his soul, right? Um, Margie, if you're watching, I love you. All right, so um, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So like, at this point, Jesus is known to be a healer. Like, listen, you're here. She's sick. We know you can do this. Would you help her out? And so Jesus went to her, took her hand, and the fever left her. And then this is where the story gets weird for me. And she began to wait on them. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage and thought, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> this woman is sick. Like she is bedridden sick. And you guys show up and the minute she's healed, you got her cooking Sunday after church dinner and waiting on you and your 12 guys. What is up with that, Jesus? Here's what I think is up with that. Jesus walks in that house, and here's this sick woman. She is the person in need in his proximity. And Jesus does what he can do to help her. And because he's Jesus, healing is one of the options. And so the power of God intervenes in the course of normal human history in a miraculous kind of way, and she is made well. There are three things I suspect that were going on there. I, I can't prove them. I think they're implied in the passage, but I can't be dogmatic about them, but I think I'm right, so I'm going to share them with you. Number one, I'll bet you there was a little bit of tension in Peter's house, Simon's house, when he quits his job to go on this preaching tour with Jesus, and his mother-in-law is watching him quit this job. Is like, how are you going to provide for my daughter and her kids? And I'll bet you when Jesus, the guy who Peter quit his job to go and be with, healed Simon's mother-in-law, that probably eased some tension in that home. Number two, I suspect Simon's mother-in-law had the gift of hospitality. Anybody have a friend with the gift of hospitality? 
I love to have, like, I love going to people's house who have the gift of hospitality. My, my wife has a friend, Renee. She has the gift of hospitality. When you go to Renee's house, she, she can't help herself. You are go, she's going to do everything she can to make sure you're comfort, comfortable, well-rested, and well-fed. She loves to cook. I love to eat. It's perfect, right? So I suspect Simon's mother-in-law had the gift of hospitality. And she, I suspect number three, she saw Jesus after a long day of ministry. Listen, my day today started about five. We got two services at church. We're going to do our congregational meeting. This stuff will wear you out, all right? After church, most pastors are tired, hungry, and if you go to my house, they're crabby as well, all right? Just how it works, all right? I suspect she saw Jesus, who just got done healing her. And there he is, tired and hungry. And her gift is hospitality. It's to make people feel comfortable and well-fed. And she desired to neighbor him back. There was nothing going to keep this woman from cooking and serving. It's what she did, and there's the guy who just helped her, and that's what he needs. And so Jesus, he doesn't say to her, no, 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 you've been sick, you rest. He doesn't say to her, oh, we'll just have Simon throw some burgers on the grill. No, he lets her cook and serve them. He's not just trying to avoid Simon's cooking. He has given. Now he's going to graciously receive. You see, when we love someone, and then we refuse to let them love us back, when we neighbor someone, and we refuse to let them neighbor us back, whether we mean to or not, what we are doing to, to a degree is we are robbing that person of their dignity. When we're the ones who are always giving, we, we put that person in a position to always be receiving we create a dy dynamic in the relationship where there's, there's this debt-debtor kind of thing going on here. And we, we always have the upper hand. We always have the position of perceived authority. They are always beholden to us. Now, that may be a comfortable position to be in, but that's putting our neighbor in an undignified position. Because healthy people, they don't want to just take, take, take. Healthy people want their relationships to go both ways, to be symbiotic. They want there to be give and take. And when I, when I won't let you love back, I rob you of that. See, for, for, for givers, this is so important for us to remember. And like, I get this. As a pastor, I usually find myself in the position of giving. And to be honest with you, my personality type, I prefer that. I'm uncomfortable on the receiving end. But for me to give and then refuse to receive, it's to rob that person of their dignity. And I would contend to rob a person of their dignity ultimately is unloving. Jesus says, yeah, love your neighbor, serve them, give. But Jesus left us an example. He received graciously. And when we receive graciously, we grant someone dignity. And when we refuse to do so, we rob them of that. So, an integrated theology of neighboring, it includes balance. 
It also, though, includes health. And with health, here's the thing I want us to get. Healthy relationships include wise boundaries. Healthy relationships include wise boundaries. Because here's the thing. If you take Jesus' call to, to love to neighbor seriously, eventually things are going to get messy. Things are going to get messy between you and that person or those people you're trying to love well. You, you will have things like TMI moments come up where you're like, no, I didn't know that about your life. I didn't want to know that about your life. I don't want to know that about your health. No, I don't want to see the pictures. Put that away, right? It's going to happen. Or, or you, you'll have things like um, therapeutic moments taking place. Now, here's what we mean by this. If you go and see a therapist, here's how it works. You dominate the conversation. All you talk about is you and your problems. You're always on the receiving end of the help. You are the center of attention. You are the beneficiary of every interaction. Now, do you know why your therapist tolerates the relationship being that one-sided in your favor? Because you're paying them. <laughs> There's an exchange of money that's appropriate in a therapeutic relationship. You take Jesus' call to love seriously, you're going to have people try and take what should be a genuine friendship, which, again, should be symbiotic, and they're going to try and turn it into something therapeutic. And for some of us in the room today, for some of us watching online today, I'm just telling you right now, one of the reasons you are struggling to make friends and keep friends is because you're doing this. You're turning the relationship into something therapeutic. You're not paying them. And they don't have the capacity to bear the weight of a therapeutic relationship, so they're just running. So we try and love well. Sometimes it'll be TMI, sometimes it'll be therapeutic. Sometimes it'll just be like the, the whole solution thing. Where they're going to be like, hey, here are all my problems. Now you fix them all for me. If we try and love well, factors like these or others like them are going to come into play. And so we got to remember, healthy relationships include wise boundaries. Because these kind of factors, they lead to things like abuse and enablement and dysfunction. And allowing that to take place in that person's life just their life or in their relationship with us, it's not loving. It's not good for them. It's bad for all their other relationships. It's cruel to the people who are going to be in relationship with them who come after us. And so we're going to set wise boundaries because to not do so is to fail to love them well. We're also going to set wise boundaries because boundaries are biblical. You can find where the Bible says to you, hey, love your neighbor. You pay attention. You read your New Testament. You'll find all kinds of examples where boundaries are encouraged. Let me share just one example with you. Paul is writing to the church in 1 first, uh, in, in first Thessalonians. So he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he's writing to them about some dysfunctional things that are taking place. So he starts out this way. He says, hey, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you. So you're like, hey, I'm commanded to love my neighbor. Paul's like, I'm commanding you to do something else as well. And he goes nuclear. He's like, I'm commanding you in Jesus' name. He says, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer. Now this, so here's your boundary. He's like, listen, 
there's some funkiness going on here in, these, in this church, in these relationships. One of the boundaries I'm going to point you to is you need to put distance between you and those individuals. And then he tells us what, what the issue was. He says, any believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you have received from us. He's like, listen, there's a problem here. I'm commanding you in Jesus' name to put this boundary in place, put space between you and them. And then as he continues, he gets more specific with us about what they are doing that's a problem, like what this whole idol thing is. He says, for you yourselves know, you ought to follow our example. For we were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we did not have a right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So here's kind of a 21st century example of what was going on in that church in the first century. It'd be like if we had people in our church who were like, you know, I'm just not down with that nine to five thing. I'd rather, like, hang out and work on my gaming skills and, and binge something on Disney Plus and, 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 and like perfect my YouTube channel. This whole thing of like, we're going to grind and make money and pay bills, that's just not my deal. I'd rather live in your basement and just raid your refrigerator. And Paul's like, no, no, that is not how it works in the family of God. You need to put some distance between you and folks like that. In fact, Paul's like, listen, we saw the propensity for that kind of dysfunction in your culture, and so we set an example of the opposite for you. As ministers, we had a right to take an offering and live off of that. Instead, we ministered to you. We were pastors to you by day for free, and then at night we got a second job so we could leave you with this principle. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who was unwilling to work shall not eat. Amen. Paul's like, you, you, you put distance between you and those folks and quit feeding them. They miss enough meals, they'll figure out they need a J-O-B. There. <laughs> so, some of you are like, give me that damn parenting. That, all right, so, this Bible, this is just one example where the Bible talks about boundaries. You, you just can't miss it. Are we called to love our neighbor? Absolutely. But when they're dysfunctional, when they're abusive, when they're seeking, seeking to be enabled, no, no, now it's time for boundaries. Now, what boundaries specifically look like in each specific circumstance? We spent a whole other message, a whole other series on that. All right? Rather than try and do that in what time we have left, let me give you a couple principles to try and help you figure out when do I lean into love and when do I lean into boundaries? So here we go. Principle number one. Remember responsible for versus responsible to. All right? You, you got responsible to, you have responsible for. And really, th there are two tools that we have used to build this series. One, Pastor James talked about last week, the book called Bless. The other, the other is a book called The Art of Neighboring. And they do a great job talking about this in that book. The idea is, there are certain things I am responsible to my neighbor, right? Like I'm responsible to pray for them. I'm responsible to love them. I'm responsible to encourage them, to bless them, to serve them. But when it comes to my neighbor, there are certain things I am not 
responsible for. I'm not responsible for their well-being, for their finances, for their happiness. It's not my job to be responsible for their success. I'm not responsible for their failure. I'm not responsible for their lives. I'm responsible to my neighbor. My neighbor's responsible for themselves. And so as I'm having an interaction with somebody, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Is this a boundary thing or not? Take a step back and go, all right, is this a responsible to kind of thing? If it is, love on. If it's a responsible for kind of thing, it's time to start thinking about what does a wise boundary look like? Or principle number two, enabling versus empowering. This is the difference between a hand up and a hand out. See, if, if I'm stepping in and I have all the answers, I'm paying all the bills, I'm doing all the work, I'm figuring everything out, I'm the savior here in this relationship. I'm enabling you. And that's not helping you. That instead, that creates a mindset of dependence where you're always stuck on an individual or some kind of institution to do for you what you should do for yourself. Love empowers. Love comes alongside of another person in a way that helps them learn to think, that, that, that develops life muscle mass so that they can be independent, not dependent. Having a person dependent upon us, again, it may stroke some, some broken, codependent thing inside of us, but it's not helping that person in the long run. It's hurting them. Helping them find dependence versus independence. It's, it's a difference between love and not loving. If I'm going to love them, I'm going to help them become independent. If I'm, being, if, I, if I'm making them dependent upon me, that, that, that's unloving towards that person. Now, as a church, we're trying to live into this organizationally. And I'll give you an example of how. We partner with City Covenant Church in a program called At the Table. City Covenant is in Brightmore of Detroit. Brightmore is arguably the most economically depressed part of Detroit, maybe even the state of Michigan. What At the Table seeks to do is identify entrepreneurs in that community and partner with them in microloans and business mentoring. These are folks who the regular lending system won't touch. We're providing them with small loans and then business mentoring that's designed to help them start their own business and be successful in it. Now, not that long ago, we received an application where somebody said, hey, I'm trying to start my own notary, mobile notary business. I'd like to get a loan from at the table to get a car. And the amount of the loan they were asking for was way bigger than the scope of loans that at the table does. And where the person was at with the development of their business, a loan wasn't appropriate at that stage. They had no income. They had no way of making payments on that loan. It would not have been a good thing. So we strategized, we prayed, and this is the solution we came up with. Let's watch. Hey, my name is Samil Thomas, and I am founder of At The Table. At The Table is a tremendous program that we do here in the community of Brightmore. 
and we partnered with some wonderful folks at different churches and parachurches. And I've got my 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 uh, brother from another mother. Okay, all right, Pastor Mike Rice here. All right, Mike, say hi to the people. Hey, people. <laughs> okay, all right, and then we have Miss L, affectionately. Her name is Lawanda. All right, and we just wanted to interview her for a moment and just ask some questions to her about, you know, what uh, what she, how we could come alongside of her and support her with the at the table program. First of all, Wanda, could you could you tell us what kind of business you have? I am the sole proprietor of Visions Inc. Notary Republic and Loan Signing Agent LLC. Um, I started last year, um, January 2001, which was actually my birthday, actually January 10th, 2001, and this will be my first complete year as an LLC. So, with the business as a notary. Um, what are some of the most significant hurdles you're facing right now in launching that? My biggest hurdle is being mobile. Um, the purpose of being mobile is to be out into the community. Like there may be a signing in Ypsilanti. And because I don't have reliable transportation as of now, um, I'm not able to do those signings. So reliable transportation really would be a game changer for your business. Definitely so, because not only will I be able to do long travel for uh, loans, but I could also be a pillar to the community. I could offer, because there's a lot of people that have notaries right next door to them, but don't know that, and I can offer that to them. And then we have people that don't have transportation that would need to say, hey, um, I know that Ms. L is a notary at Mission City or at City Covenant. Is it any way that she can come to me and have this document signed? Not a problem. All right. So you'll bring people to church soon? Definitely, Pastor. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Yes. So, yeah. so here we are in the beautiful city of Detroit, the wonderful community of Brightmore, and we're at Mission City. And uh, I've got my, my favorite pastor in the world, uh, Pastor Mike Wright, and I've got a wonderful, wonderful person <laughs> in our community, Lawanda. And uh, Lawanda, we just don't get straight to the point, okay? Because it's cold out here. All right, that's your car. what you need to take your business to the next level. Yay, so here's the car. You take your business to the next level and we can explore how we can continue to partner with you yes. and at the table. Well, that's what we're doing here. Uh, we're partnering uh, we unifying as the body of Christ in order to uh, take away the barriers that keep people from being who God has called us to be. I want to thank all of our partners who at the table, and I want to thank our future partners who may see this and say, I want to come alongside and do this tremendous work. So when you have a mobile notary business and you're not mobile, you don't have business. There's no way she can make payments on a loan. She needs to get that thing rolling. So what we had happen is somebody gave us a car with 250,000 miles on it. And then somebody made repairs on that car that should keep it going for the next six months. We said, okay, 
here's a car, you can have it. It should last you for six months. If this is the thing that's going to get this business going, you got six months to get this thing really going. Get some business. And then come on back. And we talk about a loan for a more permanent vehicle. We're not fixing everything. We're not, we're not creating a, a sense of dependence. We're trying to come alongside of another person and empower them to be independent. Because that's what good neighboring looks like. So Jesus says, love your neighbor. We're encouraged to get over the barriers between us and doing that. But the other side of the coin is that as we love our neighbor, we want the relationship to be balanced. We want to let them love us back. We want to graciously receive. And as we love our neighbor, when things are dysfunctional, when, when somebody's asking us to enable them, when somebody becomes abusive, good relationships have wise boundaries. So we want things to be healthy, and we're going to set those up. And as we do so... As we have an integrated theology of neighboring, it'll actually help us obey Jesus' commandment to love our neighbor better. Let's pray together. Father, just as we wrap this series up, we just pray for your insight to see clearly who are the people in need that you have placed in our lives as your people to love well. And Father, just as we seek to do that, give us wisdom. Help us to see ourselves clearly. Help us to be people who are going to try and pursue balance, who aren't just going to love well, but who are going to graciously receive. Help us just to see what good, healthy relationships are meant to look like. To put boundaries in place where we need to to see the difference between responsible to and responsible for, and in the end, to have an integrated theology of neighboring that helps us love well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.